Hi everyone and welcome to another sauntering podcast with me, Paul White. I'm coming to you from the beautiful town of Weymouth in Dorset by the sparkling blue sea. It never rains, it's always sunny. This podcast began during lockdown. We galloped through or sauntered through many, many books of the Bible now. I'm a disciple of Jesus and my job is to encourage you and encourage other people to walk with him. Welcome to a wet and windy Weymouth on Wednesday. Four W's, a wet and windy Weymouth Wednesday. Anyway, we are in chapter two of 2 Peter. And this is a really quite a challenging text, which we're going to look at today. So we're going to pray and ask God to help us because that will will help. (laughs) So Lord Jesus, we love you so much. And we believe that this word is written to instruct us and to help us and encourage us and to move us forward in our journey with you, Lord, and our walk as disciples. And so we ask you, open it up. Holy Spirit, open it up to us today. In Jesus' lovely name. Amen. Good morning, Sky. So one, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. Verse one. Now, what Peter does in this chapter is he talks about some really quite difficult issues in that they are painful to us. Good morning, Ruth. That it, as they they're to do with judgment. But he also kind of brings in some slightly cryptic sort of references that are hard to pin down to the Old Testament. And so I'll comment on those as we go. And forgive me if I don't chase it all perfectly to ground for you. I'll do my best. Good morning, Pete. So he says, verse one, but false prophets also rose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So, here we go. So, what we're going to, um, so what, what it seems to be evident and what is painful about this is that false prophets and false teachers seem to be a little bit of an inevitability wherever there is something genuine, there's going to be something bogus and fake working kind of within as a, as a kind of strategy of the enemy, of our enemy, the devil, who wants to hijack what God is doing and um to uh to pollute it and contaminate it so he says but false prophets also arose from among the people just as there will be false teachers among you 
And that, oh, that pains me to death that even among us, there may be and there possibly are false teachers operating within God's precious family. They're operating to um, bring in these secret, secretly, subversively bring in teachings that are going to destroy um, the work of God or, or at least undermine it. And even to the extent of denying Jesus. When it says even denying the master who bought them, it seems that that even these people somehow have got some knowledge of Jesus and yet they will their their behavior and their teaching even denies him. So that's that's really painful. And yet we see that, don't we, right back in the story of Judas. He knew Jesus. He'd walked with Jesus. He had a relationship with Jesus. And yet somehow his heart was not fully on board. And he would rather have had money than the the true deep relationship with Jesus that the other disciples had. And so even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction and so um, Peter makes a really important point and I think it's one that we should get into our heads and that is that there is a final judgment where God judges everything and it's all kind of wrapped up and squared away and dealt with but there is also and there are also times of judgment in this life where somebody's um, behavior catches up with them really quickly and like Peter says here their destruction is swiftly upon them and and I think that we should not just assume that judgment is just for the end time you know the end of all things but there are times when our judgment catches up with us we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Spirit and boom they literally drop dead in the presence of Peter and the other guys um, at the point they were telling that lie they were pushing forward that lie and so we shouldn't be surprised when we see God bringing swift judgment although sometimes it would be easier if he did and he doesn't and it's like oh god can we do it would be easier if it was the same all the time we knew what to expect we knew that if yeah but anyway so what he's saying is that these these people are going these false prophets false teachers will come they have certain characteristics one is that they are following they're kind of giving a an easy ride for people who want to practice sensuality who want to kind of indulge in forbidden sexual behavior and and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. So what it does, it maligns, it brings a bad name to the gospel. And I think we can see that, can't we? The gospel has got a pretty bad name in many areas because the teaching, the purity of it has been kind of oh, sabotaged in so many ways. But the so there's this aspect of sensuality and wanting to kind of make room for um certain sexual behaviors that god has said no to and so um but there's this other aspect here in verse three it says and in their greed they will exploit you and so there's another aspect to it as well they're looking for money they're looking to make a fast buck off of the church or off of the gospel and so they're kind of 
they're bringing a nice convenient message perhaps or something that kind of indulges us and makes us think oh I like this version of the gospel because this allows me to do these things but actually there's an underlying greed and they're, they actually are looking to exploit God's people. And of course, tragically, we've seen that, haven't we? In recent days with modern media, it's possible to exploit a huge number of people all at once. And it is heartbreaking to see it. And I believe it does literally break the heart of God. Excuse me, verse four. But for if God did not spare angels. Hold on. One last thought. And they'll exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. So basically there has always been and there always will be a judgment awaiting those who exploit the people of God and who misrepresent him and are false prophets. That is a that's a done deal. That's going to happen either in this life or in the life to come is going to happen. Verse four, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned but cast them into hell and committed them to change or chains or pits of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard, still in the same sentence <laughs> he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard then the lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. So that is a very long sentence. And Peter's taking three examples. He's saying, number one, God has thrown a certain quota of angels, so it would seem, into these gloomy dungeons or these gloomy pits. He calls it Tartarus, which is where in Greek mythology, Zeus threw the Titans who had rebelled against him. And so he's kind of picking up on some Greek mythology language here. But he's he's saying, actually, that's, that's a good, good metaphor or a good um, descriptor of what God is going to do uh, or has done with these angels. He's literally bound them and put them in these gloomy pits where their activity activity is restricted to be kept until the day of judgment or to... And then he talks about Noah preaching righteousness and how he brought this flood again on the ungodly and they all perished except Noah and his family who he put into the ark. And then he takes the example of Sodom and Gomorrah where God rained down fire and sulfur on these evil cities back in the days of Abraham and Lot. But it's interesting as well, just for anyone who kind of watches these things, um, how in in the light of the new testament in the light of god's perspective on no on lot 
Lot, lot, even though he kind of compromised and ended up in these cities, living in these cities and living amongst these really evil people, he still gets called righteous at this point. And he says if he righteous, rescued righteous Lot, and who was greatly distressed by the wickedness he saw, and it vexed his soul, literally vexed his righteous soul, day after day, um, he's what he's doing, he's making a point. He's taking these three examples, the angels, Noah and Lot. And he's saying, actually, God does bring judgment on the ungodly. This is really important that we understand that God does bring judgment on the ungodly. And he does rescue the righteous, the, the ones he have given their hearts over to him. And I think it's really encouraging as well, because Lot was not that righteous, really. He messed up, I think, quite grossly in some ways. If you read the story back in Genesis, he was, it's painful. And Lot's level of righteousness is a quite a disappointment when you read the story. And yet somehow God his heart was enough towards God that God would actually rescue him out of that judgment um, scenario which he was bringing on those cities. I think that's heartening for us because sometimes I think we mess up quite a lot and we feel pretty bad about it. But our hearts are basically to do the will of God and we repent and we come back to him and say, oh God, I'm sorry. And we think, oh, have I done enough? You know, and and actually it's not about what we've done. It's about what Jesus has done. And I think that's the really important thing and that our confidence and our faith is in him to save us. So anyway, but the point of what Peter is getting at is that there is a judgment. And I think we should really take that on board. And it's not like Peter is making all this stuff up or bringing in a whole load. This isn't, shall we say, a particularly common theme throughout the New Testament, but it does appear in certain places. But but Jesus talked about hell that is reserved for Satan and his angels. Jesus, if we're going to fall out with anyone, we have to fall out with Jesus because he did talk about hell quite a lot. And it's not an easy thing to talk about. And it's very difficult to kind of somehow present hell in the context of good news. But to be honest, without judgment, the cross, the death of Jesus on the cross to pay for our sins makes no sense. If there's no if there's nothing to be saved from, why would Jesus go to the cross to save us? Why would he pay such an extraordinary price to save us? If there was nothing to save us from. And so we have to kind of embrace the gospel as a whole. Not just the bits that sound nice and fluffy. And it's brutal. The gospel has a a hard, difficult part to it. And that is all have sinned. Fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. And so, you know, is this, so what Peter's doing, you know, in this whole thing, he's making this contrast that in amongst, that we're pursuing that which is precious, but there is something that's very worthless and is actually not just worthless, it's negative and destructive and horrible. And we should kind of shun that and move away from it and move away from these false teachers who want to bring us who really are just setting themselves up the trouble is and their listeners for judgment 
And he said, you know, there is this thing that God, these these are an example of what what is going to happen to the ungodly in verse six. So, right, let's move on. So he's continuing to talk about these ungodly false teachers and prophets. And he said, bold and willful, verse 10, second half of verse 10, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. Let's just pause there for a second. Peter's kind of <laughs> going into some, again, some more kind of cryptic areas that we, we don't know so much about. When he's talking about these glorious ones, we don't really know who they are. The word in Greek is doxas, which just means glorious ones. There's some debate as to whether they're somewhere in the ranks of angels, a kind of different level of angels. But somehow to speak badly of these beings, whoever they are, is to be blasphemous, to be blasphemous and to um, to speak dishonorably against some glorious creatures that God has made. And we just need to be careful that in our confidence in God, we don't get kind of flippant and speak badly of angels or even the perhaps maybe principalities and powers who operate over cities and regions that we don't start thinking that we can be flippant about these beings and just remember to speak honorably even you know and and it's just a difficult one I think we just need to make sure we're not becoming arrogant ourselves in the way we speak about things we don't understand and so a but he's saying bold and willful. These people are bold and willful. And those are the characteristics that we're looking at um, with the false prophets, really, rather than the specific detail of what they're doing. Peter's just using that as an example of how far they are bold and willful. And we just watch out for this willful spirit, willful being unsubmitted. He's been Peter's talked a lot about submission, hasn't he, in, in the first letter. And willful is the exact opposite to being submissive. Submissive. It's the exact opposite, isn't it? It's that kind of thing. I'm going to do what I want. I don't care what you say. I'm going to do, I'm going to please myself. I'm going to please me. And this is underlying this kind of spirit that's in the false prophets and the false teachers. And he says they are like irrational animals, creatures of in instinct, born to be caught and destroyed blaspheming about matters of which they're ignorant and they will also be destroyed in their destruction suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing so he says the wages of sin paul says the wages of sin is death peter's basically saying the same thing he said there there is going to be a payday where these people who've lived like this and taught this stuff are going to be brought to account and it's like an animal that's literally spent his whole life waiting for the day that it gets a bullet in the head so it can become a bacon sandwich <laughs> sorry but he's in you know they're like creatures of instinct they haven't they they're not 
alive to the realities of what they're talking about. They don't, then they haven't got, they're not mature. They haven't seen the realities of what they're talking about. And so they can be arrogant and foolish in their conversation. Right. Num, verse 13 says, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. So like partying and getting drunk and so on. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions so they're like taking joy in their de delusions and their deceptions and the way they've i was talking to a guy yesterday seriously this is this is a bit of an aside but he's in prison and he was telling me that he'd sold his house for one point something million pounds just recently and that he has like literally stacks and stacks and stacks of money from the proceeds of crime um, that's being laundered by his various businesses and so on. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking, he's only quite young. I'm thinking either you're incredibly um, deceived and you've got a great story to, to spin a yarn, but it just seemed like, I thought, man, this, this guy has got no shame about what he's done, whatever. The fact that he's got away with it, it seems they can't they can't pin it on him because he's laundered the money well. I just think, oh man, it's like reveling in the crime. But the thing is, there is no such thing as a victimless crime. So whoever that money came that money came from somebody who probably couldn't afford it and is now it's been extracted by whatever criminal method and cleaned up. And he's kind of sitting pretty on a fortune, finishing out his time. I'm thinking, man, this is, well, it's horrible because there's no repentance. And unless there's repentance, there's no forgiveness. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, whatever. That's, that's a side thing you can think about over lunch. Um, And so he says, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. Their blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you so he's saying even they're coming to the lord's table they're attending holy things and they're feasting with you verse 14 they have eyes full of adultery insatiable for sin they entice unsteady souls they have hearts trained in greed accursed children sadly we have had experience of people who've come to the church, they've been part of the church family and come to communion, shared at the Lord's table. And meanwhile, they're sizing somebody up to commit adultery with within the church. Painful, painful, painful. And it makes being a pastor an absolute oh, nightmare because you have to deal with it and you have to get on sort of the Thing out and it's a horrible mess and there's always a lot of fallout and damage done it's really really difficult so these people are a pain literally in the heart of jesus they have eyes full of adultery insatiable for sin that means they can't be satisfied they always want more they're always after something else they have um they entice unsteady souls they have hearts trained in greed so they've become skillful at pursuing their greedy ends and he says they're accursed children what a what a what a difficult thing to say forsaken the right way they have gone astray verse 15 they have followed the way of Balaam the son of Beor who loved gain from wrongdoing but was rebuked for his own transgression a speechless donkey 
spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Story in the Old Testament where a certain king wants to defeat the Israelites. And uh, so he thinks there's no way I can defeat them because God is with them. I know what, I'll get one of their prophets to come and prophesy some doom on and curse them. So he hires Balaam, who's clearly a bit of a gun for hire, a prophet with um, who's looking out for the profit of being a prophet. And he's trying to make some a fast buck out of his prophetic ministry, which I, yeah, anyway, the mind boggles. And so he, but this is, this is for real. And so he hires Balaam. Balaam says, do you know what? I can't curse God's people. But what he does do is he goes to, and and even on his way to go and try and curse them, his donkey speaks to him and tells him not to be so stupid. (laughs) It's such a strong story that kind of even a donkey knows better than to curse God's people. And yet Balaam still does something worse than that. He sows the seed of immorality in the community and they begin to um, violate the commands of God as a community because they've heard this lying, scheming voice from the prophet. So he's used his ability and his reputation to persuade people into sin. That is hideous. That is absolutely hideous. And uh, anyway, verse 17, these are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm from them, the gloom of utter darkness. Oh, sorry, for them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for speaking loud boasts of folly. They entice by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption for whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved for. If after they escape the defilements of this world through knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them the dog returns to his own vomit and the sow after washing herself will returns to wallow in the mire and so what he's saying here is these people these false prophets they find people who are a little bit tenuous in their faith they're a bit insecure and a bit shakable and they target those people it's like the you know on the nature program where you see the the herd of wildebeest and the lions go after the the one that's got a bit of a limp or is a bit vulnerable and they separate them from the herd and bring it down and he's saying this is actually what happens and of course then they're in a worse situation because they've fallen away they've become they've they were escaping from the defilements of this world. They were escaping all of that judgment that's impending. And now they've been drawn back into it. And of course, there, Jesus uses the same analogy. He says, you know, if you cast a demon out of somebody, um, it's like you make the house clean and then the demon goes off and unless there's something good put in that house instead to occupy it well, just getting rid of a demon isn't going to help. 
that that person because the demon will come back with seven others worse than itself and then the condition of the person will be worse than at the beginning and so he peter is using that same kind of sense that actually you can end up in a worse state than you were before um and it would have been better to have never known i i find this quite a hard thing to even talk about that it's possible to end up in a worse place having been a believer and then falling back into sin and getting sucked back into that vortex of sin um, and to be in a worse state than you were before. Now, I still believe that while there's life, there's hope. I, I think God is, we know so many stories where God has given people a second chance and a third chance and they've come back and and he's fully restored them. And so I think we should never get fatalistic about it and think, oh, this person's lost forever. But while there's life, there's hope. And while someone is still alive, they're still, I'm sure, within the reach of the grace of God. But it has to there has to be that place of coming back to repentance and and with sorrow and sadness over the grief and pain we've caused Jesus. Ah, man, it's a tough one, isn't it? And so um, let's just pray and ask the Lord to help us as we reflect on this. And anyone wants to make any comments, please do. Um, Please be polite and friendly. Um, And because we're trying to help each other here, not kind of slam each other over the head with a (laughs) theological brick. (laughs) So, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your word. I thank you that is here to instruct us and help us and to equip us in our walk with you and in our ministry of serving you and being your disciple. So, Jesus, help us today and let your presence go with us and keep us full of joy, full of hope. Amen. Have an amazing day, everyone. God bless you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, that's brilliant. That's exactly what I hope for. Please do share it, like it, pass it on, get it out there. Thank you so much. Have an amazing day.